The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Barron's Live. My name is Greg Robb. I'm the economics editor at MarketWatch. Joining us today in a special appearance, a special appearance, I guess I would say, is St. Louis Fed President Jim Bullard. Really, thank you for coming to Market Watch and Barron's. We appreciate it so much. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. We have uh, a lot of questions and a, lo a lot of viewer questions already. So let's get into it, see how much we can get done. Okay. Inflation is well above 2%. The Fed has raised rates rapidly and signaled that they have to raise rates more. You don't think the Fed has done enough to bring down inflation. How high do you think rates need to go to bring inflation down? Yeah, I would refer uh, listeners and viewers to my speech in Louisville uh, last uh, week, um, which was all about uh, the level of the policy rate that would be sufficiently restrictive. And the answer in that uh, talk, which used Taylor type monetary policy rules was five to 7%. So I do think that the committee at least needs to get into the bottom end of that range in order to be sufficiently restrictive given the data that we have today. Um, and then I also think that uh, we're going to have to continue to uh, pursue our uh, interest rate increases into 2023. Uh, and there's some risk that we'll have to go even higher than the lower end of that range uh, as we uh, go through 2023, if the inflation data in particular does not cooperate with us. So um, I, th I guess I think markets are underpricing a little bit the, uh, the risk that the, uh, the FOMC will have to be uh, more aggressive rather than less aggressive uh, in order to contain uh, the very uh, substantial inflation that we have in the U.S. Hasn't that been the case all year with the market sort of doubting that the Fed was going to raise rates to three to four percent kind of it's been that that way all year. What do you make of that? Yeah, hope springs eternal always around the corner. And I think it's a, a, a little bit of um, continuing overemphasis on the transitory argument for inflation, even though Chair Powell retired the word transitory uh, a year ago. Um, I think there's still a heavy degree of idea, you know, uh, that that inflation will naturally go away without the Fed putting downward pressure on inflation, uh, and I think that's been proven wrong during uh, 2022. Here, this will be the second year in a row. It looks like where we'll have, uh, you know, core PC inflation around six percent. Uh, that's a lot of inflation uh, for the U.S., and it means uh, rates will have to get higher in order to bring that down. 
one counter argument I've heard to this five to seven percent level comes from research from the San Francisco Fed. They they sort of have like a proxy Fed funds rate. So right now the the Fed funds rate is three point seven five to four percent, and they see calculations that when you count when you bring in quantitative tightening and other factors that the real proxy Fed funds rate is already in the 6% range. So they're worried about going too far. How do you respond to that argument? Yeah, I think if you wanted to put heavy weight on the quantitative tightening part of our policy that, uh, and, and you wanted to count that for a lot, that would be one way to make the argument. Uh, Chair Powell has talked about this in the past and, uh, you know, admitted, and, and I've admitted too, that the uh, estimates are all over the map on this uh, as far as uh, sort of how many basis points the quantitative tightening policy is worth. Um, so uh, the calculation that I did in the Louisville talk was uh, more about just a straight Taylor type rule calculation, but the, you know, I made very generous assumptions. And even if you make these very generous assumptions, you still get a 5% lower bound. And if you're a little less generous, you get the 7%. So I think we've got a ways to go to get restricted, uh, to get restrictive. Uh, one thing I would say about my talk was that the, the shaded region in that diagram, if, if for those that wanna actually check it, uh, the shaded region can move around based on the data. So if you have strong conviction that inflation is going to come down, then that shaded region would also come down and maybe the policy rate would move into the shaded region and you'd be in the zone. I hope to come back to the inflation outlook a little bit later, but the, the second part to the how high then is how fast. And you think that, you know, 5% range is where you want to get to does it matter how fast the Fed goes? Do you still want to see another significant 75 basis point increase in December? Yeah, generally speaking, I've advocated that uh, uh, sooner is better, um, that you do want to get to the, uh, the right level of the policy rate for the, for the current data and the current situation. Um, I, but I would defer to the chair as to whether, uh, you know, how he wants to play the tactics on this. In macroeconomic terms, I'm not so sure that it matters that much whether it's, uh, you know, we get there uh, in the, you know, exactly what date we get there or what meaning uh, we get there. But the, um, uh, the most important thing is this uh, sufficiently restrictive level and that that level is well understood by financial markets. Now, there's a lot of talk about the go slow argument that the, the sense is that the Fed is kind of driving fast down the highway. You've done a lot of rate hikes this year and that you're going to, you know, go so fast that you miss the exit, maybe over tighten, hurt the economy too much. Talk about over tightening. Is that a risk in your in your outlook? Yeah, I, I think people are uh, counting, you know, we started from a very low level here, close to zero, and uh, they're counting the first 250 basis points as if that was a tightening of monetary policy, but really that's just getting up to the long run neutral level of the policy rate. 
and since then uh, we moved above that. But uh, I'm not sure you can really count the uh, the first part of that um, effort this year uh, as being true policy tightening. So we've only recently moved into restrictive territory, and we're going to have to move farther in order to keep. Uh, uh, inflation under control. I think all will go better if we get to the uh, restrictive level sooner, put downward pressure on inflation and get 2023 to be a, a year of disinflation for the U.S. One of the questions we had this morning already was saying that just recently the Fed had been trying so hard to get inflation up. And so some people, I think, are sort of getting a little bit of a whiplash now that the Fed really wants to get inflation down. Just explain to people a little bit how that has changed so quickly here. The Fed, you know, you've changed your whole. Uh... Yeah. Uh, well, um, you have to keep up with the times, and the times <laughs> have changed here. I think. Uh, uh, I think we were all taken by surprise in the aftermath of the uh, uh, pandemic uh, onset that we ended up with as much inflation as we did. Uh, but now we're going to be uh, and have been uh, forthright and trying to turn that around, get the inflation under control, get the economy back on the balanced growth path. So I, I think uh, it makes sense. Uh, you know, we haven't had this much inflation in the U.S. since the early 1980s. Uh, this calls for much higher uh, interest rates than uh, what we've been used to over the pre-pandemic era. And uh, so it's it's very much a change in the in the winds here. Another the third sort of question out, out of the box is how long the Fed will have to stay at a high level. So you think rates have to get into that gray box five to seven percent, but then sit there. And I think I think we probably have to stay there uh, all during 2023 and into 2024, given the historical behavior of uh, core. PC inflation or Dallas Fed trim mean inflation, they tend, they will come down, I think. Uh, that's my my baseline, but uh, they probably won't come down quite as fast as uh, markets would like and and probably the Fed would like, probably everybody would like uh, the, them to come down rather quickly, uh, but that isn't the historical behavior of these time series. Your colleagues focus on the labor market saying that they're going to be able to gauge how high rates need to go based on the labor market, but that's not your central focus. Could you talk about that a little bit to our listeners? Yeah, labor markets are uh, ex continue to be extremely strong. I see that markets are expecting maybe two hundred thousand jobs to be created in the in this uh, upcoming jobs report. Um, that would still be well above the longer run trend for the U.S. economy. So we've also got unemployment at 3.7 percent, uh, historically a very low value for the U.S. economy. Labor market conditions index um, still at near 1990s highs, uh, one of the best labor markets of the post-war era. So there's a lot to like about the current state of the labor market. Um, I don't think that the feedback from the labor market to inflation is nearly as strong as uh, many people portray it. I think that the Phillips curve has been flat and the relationship has broken down compared to what it was in the 70s and earlier. 
so that uh, you know I, I've tried to de-emphasize the the links between labor markets and and inflation, uh, any direct links there. I do think that um, the fact that the labor market is so strong gives us license to uh, pursue our disinflationary strategy now and try to get the inflation under control right now so we don't replay the 1970s where uh, the FOMC at that time took 15 years uh, to get inflation under control, culminating in the 1981-82 recession with unemployment at 10.8%. So we don't want to go back to that. Uh, we want to get this inflation under control much sooner than they would have in the 1970s. So the strong labor market raises the hope of a soft landing then, or it's kind of a one factor that kind of <clears throat> talk, kind of. You know, I, I think that um, it's a slow growth economy and uh, that's probably helping us uh, right now. Growth has been, was actually negative in the first half of 2022 now looks like it'll be you know positive in the second half of 2022 so arguably a stronger second half than a first half i think that's interesting tracking estimates of the fourth quarter the current quarter look like they're um trending positive uh and, and gdp now is actually very strong for the fourth quarter so I still think we'll have below trend growth in 2023, but the slow growth part will uh, may help us some in, in trying to bring the inflation under control. And uh, so, in, you know, re economists are de definitely think that a slow growth is inevitable, but they're debating whether there's going to be a recession. Uh, you, you don't think it's inevitable, for sure. I don't think it's inevitable. Recessions are caused by shocks. It's possible that we could get a shock that we can't anticipate right now during 2023, and that would send us into recession. Uh, we don't know what that would be. Um, you know, positive things can happen too, so it's possible to go the other way. But I, my base case is just for slow growth in 2023. Just to remind viewers that if they put some questions into the chat, I'll try to save some time at the end for questions. And thanks again for listening. I wanted, I think in inflation expectations is a topic I wanted to talk to you about a little bit. Some people, when I, I read commentary after your speeches, that economists think you're you're talking tough because you really want to keep inflation expectations down and want the pe people to really kind of get the sense that the Fed isn't going to tolerate high inflation. Are inflation expectations important to you? And is that sort of part of your strategy here? Well, yes, uh, they're a very important uh, variable in um, modern macroeconomics. And one of the things that happened in the 70s was that the inflation expectations uh, did get out of control and it took a long time to bring inflation down. Um, I have been encouraged uh, that market-based uh, Tips-based uh, inflation expectations are in a reasonable range, at least for now, and that suggests confidence in financial markets that we've got the right policy uh, to bring inflation under control. But 
on the other hand, uh, markets are sometimes wrong. And so it, it could be that they're just overly optimistic about inflation. So it's hard to read that. But uh, at least we're not uh, going in the other direction where uh, markets had lost, perhaps lost faith in the Fed that we would be able to bring inflation down in relatively short order. So, um, so, so far, so good on that, on that dimension. You, when you talk about market expectations, then you're you're sort of leaving off the table consumer expectations. Do you think consumer expectations, you know, surveys on inflation are less valuable for the outlook? Or yeah, I haven't found them to be as informative. Um, I do look, however, at business uh, inflation expectations, and. Uh, uh, because they're the price setters in the economy, and and I think uh, how they're assessing the situation is important. But they're more closely tied to uh, market-based uh, inflation expectations than the households. The households' inflation expectations have tended to be biased to the upside. They tend to be uh, heavily influenced um, by gasoline prices and and food prices, which is fine. That's what they actually have to pay. Um, but uh, I, I haven't found them to be as reliable for uh, a day-to-day -day read on, uh, on what's going on and, and how markets are interpreting the incoming data. In the minutes of the Fed uh, November meeting that came out last week, there was some talk that, uh, some concern that there are sort of some of the inflation expectation readings might be kind of getting hotter than you might like. And I noted that uh, The Economist talked about the Cleveland Fed study that said businesses expect 7% inflation next year. So are you worried a little bit that maybe things, I mean, we've had this high inflation and people aren't really, you know, they don't know what to expect maybe, right? Businesses too. I think that's right. Uh, obviously, we don't have that much experience with this kind of inflation over the last uh, couple of decades, so it's been quite a while, and uh, and people aren't sure what to make of it. And and so I, it's not surprising to me that the dispersion would be very wide. Uh, you have different people espousing different theories about what's going to happen, and who's to say that they're they're wrong? I mean. Uh, we haven't been in this situation for a long time. So uh, you would, I think you would expect the dispersion to be wide here. Right. What is, and on the outlook for inflation, let's talk a little bit about that. In, in Chair Powell's Jackson Hole speech, he said something that I thought was remote. He's, you know, he quoted Paul Volcker, the former Fed chairman from the 1980s who famously brought inflation under control. And he said, inflation feeds upon itself is it something that we're seeing now? You know, even though people are focused on just inflation slowly coming down, it does seem a little bit solid. It, is there some dynamic that's keeping inflation, you know? Yeah, I'm not a big believer in the vaunted uh, wage price spiral. Uh, I think nominal wages and, and prices would... Uh, in a high inflation economy would naturally go up together. So if you look at somewhere like Turkey or Argentina, which have very high inflation rates, uh, 75 to 100% or, you know, on the, on the, in that magnitude, you would expect nominal wages to be moving 
at the same level as overall prices in those economies. So I don't I think that's a symptom of a high inflation economy. That's not a cause of a high inflation economy. The cause is uh, inappropriate monetary policy in, in both those situations. And so uh, for the U.S., we want to run the appropriate monetary policy and then we'll get uh, inflation back down to our 2 percent target and meet uh, both sides of our mandate, strong labor market, uh, low and stable inflation. So many forecasters and I guess some Fed officials see you know, commodity prices coming down and see signs that inflation might be easing over the medium term, which I guess is next summer or so. What's your thought about that? Is that your outlook for inflation? You know, one of the things I said in Louisville, and I'll repeat today, is that there is a good dynamic that could take hold in 2023, and I, I very much hope it does, which is that uh, markets turn out to be right. Inflation does come down in 2023. We get uh, we move the policy rate to the restrictive level, the appropriately restrictive level in the uh, let's say in the first quarter of 2023. And then we leave it there as inflation is coming down. Um, I could see that being a very good dynamic uh, for the U.S. economy because the uh, there would be evidence that the disinflationary policy is working. Inflation would still be relatively high, but but falling. Um, the, the Fed would, uh, in my view, would stick with it, uh, as the chair has emphasized, uh, in order to make sure inflation uh, returned to target in a reasonable time frame. Um, and we wouldn't you know, we could put this episode uh, behind us or we could at least see the light at the end of the tunnel at that point. So I, I think that uh, if that dynamic gets started, it could be a good year in 2023. The other day, uh, Olivia Blanchard, who's a was president of the American Economics Association and a top economist, he said that he was concerned about something like a false dawn where inflation comes down from like 7% where it is now then really gets stuck around 4%. Um, but meanwhile, everybody will have declared victory. Is that something you're concerned about, that, that we might get some some decline in inflation, but just then it gets... Stuck? Yeah, I would, I would definitely uh, listen to Olivia on that. Um, I think uh, that's a risk, and, and we do have to... Uh, maintain downward pressure until we uh, are, it's clear that we're going to achieve our uh, 2% inflation target. And, uh, and and so I think that's something to watch out for. In the 70s, and again under Volcker, uh, mistakes were made at various at various points where, um, you know, what looks now when you look back at the data, it looks like relatively, you know, small movements or uh, temporary movements in inflation got overinterpreted and uh, you got the so-called stop-go uh, monetary policy. So I think we have to avoid that temptation here uh, and really stay with the restrictive level of the policy rate uh, longer in order to uh, be sure that we're pushing inflation back to the 2% target. And some observers and economists think that the Fed's 2% inflation target might be too low now and that the Fed maybe 3% might be a sort of more um, better place for an inflation target. 
Yeah, completely terrible idea for this environment. Um, you know, the one of the advantages we have today is that we actually have a inflation target and we benefited from the inflation targeting experience of the 1990s across the globe, which brought global inflation down to 2% and set an international standard. So, to, you know, as soon as you get into hot water, you say, oh, I'm going to abandon my inflation target especially for one of the leading economies in the world, uh, would unleash global chaos uh, on the inflation front and return us uh, almost surely to the 1970s kind of chaos. So we don't want to go there, uh, that's for sure. There would be a time for this debate, but it would be well after we've uh, returned to the 2% inflation target. And uh, one uh, factor that people are talking about in inflation is companies being able to raise prices in this environment. And um, do, do you think that companies are gonna run into a place where they will no longer be able to raise their prices so freely as they have been? Yeah, <clears throat> I think that's the disinflationary dynamic that will get going here. Uh, the concern will be among management teams at these companies will be uh, if they raise prices too much or try to overdo it, they will lose market share. And if they lose market share, that tends to be a permanent loss. You have a customer that got disgusted with your product and decided to uh, abandon it altogether. It's very hard to get that customer back. And so uh, that's the situation that businesses really fear and uh, they should fear it. Uh, and and because you can, if you misplay this as a management team, you can send your uh, your company all the way out of business. So uh, I, that's my interpretation of what happened during the 1980s disinflation. I think that will happen again here, where some will misplay this. So they'll think that they can raise prices too much, and and they'll get they'll get a, a large loss of their customer base, or possibly uh, their rivals will come in and undercut them completely. So uh, I do think that's an important part of the dynamic that I'm expecting in 2023. Where, where does some people are talking about that? It's I guess the progressives in, in Congress are talking a little bit about this, that there's a price gouging going on from companies, and and that's help that's feeding inflation. Is that something? Where does that fit into your uh, outlook of you know? Is that something that fits into your you know, worldview of the economy, price gouging? Well, I suppose as consumers, we all feel like uh, all the goods should be free. And so we shouldn't have to pay anything for it either. You know, the firms don't see it that way. Uh, they have a cost of production and they want to make a profit for their uh, shareholders. Some of them who are actually the, the actual customers that are buying the thing. So. Um, this is all part of the equilibrium in the economy, and and uh, uh, you know I think we have to let that process uh, play out. I want to switch gears here, talk a little bit about quantitative tightening. It really just has gotten underway in September. I mean, it's probably early to ask you, but I want to say, how do you think it's going? Um, how long do you think it will last? Do you have a sort of time frame in mind? Uh, I've been pleased with the QT program. Uh, I was pleased that we got it uh, decided in the second quarter and moving at full speed in the third quarter. Um, I 
think it's time to let it run for now. Uh, we can evaluate next year sometime and see how it's going. But so far, so good. Uh, and uh, I, I think this is helping us in our disinflationary program. And, and another topic, the yield curve, uh, really super inverted. Do you, is that a big signal for that, you know, for markets here? Um, it's yes, the vaunted yield curve inversion. I have cited this in the past and, and I do respect uh, the signal sent by the yield curve. But at this particular moment, I think that this is mostly nominal. Um, so you have markets expect seeing a lot of inflation today, maybe over the next year or two, uh, but not seeing very much inflation over the next five years or the next 10 years. So that would naturally, even if you thought the real interest rate was not going to change in that entire time frame, uh, that would lead to a nominal inversion because you're expecting inflation to fall. So you could interpret that as uh, confidence in the Fed's program that we're going to be able to get inflation back down to 2%. And uh, that would lead to part of the uh, inversion here. You could tell a lot of stories around this, but I think in this particular moment, uh, this expected disinflation is, uh, is partly leading to the yield curve inversion. So it's not sending the recessionary signal necessarily that it would in other circumstances where uh, the yield curve inversion would be in the context of inflation being at 2% and expected to remain at 2%. In that situation where there's a yield curve inversion, which was the case in 2019, then I think the markets really did expect a recession ahead. Uh, here, post-pandemic, They've got this uh, expected disinflation, and that's that's leading to part of the yield curve inversion. That's why it's not sending quite the same signal that it would have in 2019 or in the earlier episodes. We're running out of time. I appreciate you've been so generous with your time and joining us today. I'll ask a couple of questions and from the audience. Just there's a question about the housing market. Um, housing market has been hurt hard as interest rates. Rose, what's your outlook for housing? And, and will housing sort of be a real drag on the overall economy? Housing is reversing and has been. Uh, this is uh, during 2022. This is one place where there are not long and variable lags uh, with respect to policy. Uh, pretty much an immediate uh, impact on the housing market. Uh, the only thing I would say about this is that this is on the heels of a booming housing market. So uh, I'd like to think that it, uh, this is returning more toward uh, the balanced growth path for housing. Uh, I, I was surprised. And I think many were surprised that the pandemic, instead of causing uh, problems in the housing market, actually led to a, a housing market boom, and certainly in terms of prices and, and other factors. So. Um, uh, you know, maybe we'll we'll get some better equilibrium here eventually out of the, uh, in in housing. So, we have about fifty questions. So I'm going to have to invite you back for, okay. for a second round. But but thank you again for your time today. I really appreciate it. I have a little uh, promo to announce, and then we'll be finished. And that is to, Barron's Live will continue tomorrow. There's a Barron's associate editor Reshma. 
Kapadia will speak with Sarah Malik, Chief Investment Officer of Nuveen tomorrow to talk about uh, investing in these turbulent times. So I want to thank you so, so much, everyone, and for joining us, and especially President Bullard from the St. Louis Fed for the time today. Thank you, everyone. Keep reading Market Watch. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.